Email is one of the most important channels for generating new leads. And while some say email is dead, nothing could be further from the truth. Just ask Liz Green. Liz is an email copywriting expert, and she is flat chat with more work than she can handle. There are secrets to her success, and she reveals the best of them in this podcast. Hello there, I'm Bernard Eschwert. I'm the founder of the Australian School of Copywriting and the head copywriting tutor at the Australian Writers' Centre. Now, if you'd like to learn how to write email copy for yourself, for your small business, or get paid to do it for your client, check out our short course, Copywriting Essentials, and get the knowledge you need to write emails with confidence. Liz completed our course a few years ago, and she attributes her success to that course. One small course can make a big impact on your life, as it did with Liz. She reinvented herself from scratch and now earns money by writing words that sell, and she does it from anywhere in the world that she happens to be. If you'd like to reinvent yourself, check out writercenter.com.au forward slash essentials. And if you like this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Let's get started. Liz Green, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Bernadette. Lovely to be here. Now, Liz, I heard a rumour that you like cake. Is this correct? (laughs) Sad but true. Look at my face. I do. (laughs) I especially like red velvet cake. Uh, I do try not to eat it too often. But yeah, if you want to win me over, give me cake. Well, I love the way you've incorporated cake into your copywriting website. So I love this thematic, you know, sort of um, motif that you've got going on. And what better, you know, thing to do with copy than eat cake, right? So um, now, Liz, you've got a really interesting backstory. You had a family business that didn't go so good. So rather than me tell the story, just talk (laughs) us through your journey that took you to copywriting because you came to it a bit later in life. I did. Um, look, I, I had. Um, I didn't really grow up in a time or maybe an environment where writing was considered by anyone I knew to be a viable option, even though that's what I really wanted to do. So I just went off and had a career that was a series of jobs, really, and they were all admin related. But somehow I always ended up with the writing tasks. Um, which was, you know, a perk for me and presumably a perk for whoever was dumping it on my desk. Um, Anyway, eventually I met and married a lovely man, my husband, um, and he was a builder in the luxury home building industry. Um, And we ran a business together for just over nine years. It was really great for some of the time. And then in the last few years, we hit a boom. And despite what you might think, builders really struggle in booms. Um, and we actually lost the business at the end of it. Um, And that was the point where I just thought, gosh, I've been working so hard for nearly a decade and we've ended up with nothing. I think it's time to just reevaluate and look at what I've always wanted to do. So I found a degree in professional writing and publishing at Curtin Uni in Perth. Um, I got myself a job (laughs) first and then I went to uni part-time and got my degree and then I couldn't get anybody to actually employ me uh, which was had never happened to me in the past. Um, So I think it was a weird mix of my age because by then I was heading towards 50 um, And I don't know if you know this, but there's research that shows women become less appealing in their 40s in the workplace, men in their 50s. Um, (laughs) So we we go off a bit earlier than the men do, but they still suffer from it as well. Uh, So I got my husband said to me, you know, these jobs you're going for, do you really think they're what you want? Is this maybe why you're you know, part of the reason why you're not getting anywhere. And on reflection, I was trying to fit myself into a box. Uh, In the meantime, I discovered podcasts, discovered So You Want to Be a Writer, and was an avid listener of that. And then I discovered you (laughs) and your course with the Australian Writers' Centre. So that seemed like the 
the next step was to actually dip my toe in the water and see, can I do this thing? And look, I'm not up to date with how your program runs now, but back then you used to give personal feedback on the work that was submitted. And that for me was absolutely transformational because I had your eyes on what I was doing and you had no reason to tell me I was doing okay if I wasn't. Um, And I got really good feedback from you. Uh, The next thing that happened was I got offered my old corporate job back that I really did not love. So it was, will I jump for the money or will I jump into this new thing? And uh, after a couple of nights of tossing and turning, I decided the money wasn't going to do it for me because I didn't enjoy that. And I I wanted to pursue the writing. So uh, within a week, I got my business launched. I probably did everything wrong. Well, there's lots of things I definitely know I did wrong. Uh, but the first networking event I went to, I chose really carefully. I went to a small networking event. It was still fairly scary, (laughs) but I had to introduce myself to the group and just give a little bit of a summary of what I did, which, again, would have come across quite weak, I think, because I was so anxious. But somebody still grabbed me as I was trying to leave and asked me if I would um, be interested in writing a website copy. So. That was it. I was launched. <laughs> Liz, there's so much to unpack there. I'm so thrilled with what you've achieved and uh, and to know that the, the courses were a springboard into that. And it, it is amazing what a short course can do, isn't it? It's, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, a three-year degree because I, I get those questions a lot about do I need a degree in marketing or comms to be a copywriter? And the answer is no. And, I mean, I've got a degree in marketing, so I can say that with some certainty I've been teaching at marketing in universities for nearly 25 years. So what was it about the course? And I'm not here to promote the course necessarily. <laughs> I'm, I'm really out. I'm really here to, to hear about what was it about a short course that the degree didn't give you in, in, in any context? What was it about that? Well, the first thing is the degree, even though it's a professional writing degree, never mentioned copywriting at all. So I have since mentioned it to them <laughs> that they might want to do that. So when I um, discovered the course you were running, I could see that there was practical application. And I guess I'd just come out of that uni environment where you get assessed. And uh, so I valued that aspect of it. Um, The fact that I was going to be able to complete it within a tight time frame, which can be a challenge. Sometimes the longer you've got to do, you're leaving everything to the last week. Uh, <laughs> more more often than not, maybe. Um, and because you had like, okay, if you want your work um, to be assessed, it needs to be in by this deadline. Again, that was sort of a little bit of a window into what working as a copywriter would be like. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's just a combination of things. Um, and I'm, I agree with you. I even wonder now whether I needed a degree. I think I did in my mind needed a degree in professional writing because I needed to be convinced that I am just that person I need a piece of paper to say you can do that thing so when I started your program I already knew I could write to a certain extent but I didn't know if I could write to convince and that was the big thing yeah, I, I think the three years, I mean, obviously anyone who wants to do a, a degree, go and, and get one. Um, but when it comes to people saying, should I do a degree or should I just launch my copywriting business and jump in feet first, I always opt for the latter. Um, now, Liz, what about ageism? I'm really interested in that because we're both women of a certain age. <laughs> um, what do you think age and experience brings to you as a copywriter? What are some of the assets that you bring as age as you as you grow older here? Okay, so the first one is going to sound funny, but it's true, is that if you've got a few wrinkles on your face, you can show up to an event and say that you're a whatever the thing is, and whether it's true or not, people look at you and think that you've got rungs on the board because you've got wrinkles on your face. Um And I know this is, look, I haven't surveyed every single person, but it was a younger person who said this to me, that she had trouble establishing her credibility because she didn't look like she had much life experience. And then that leads into the next thing, which is life experience. 
by the time you've got to your late 40s, unless you've been very, very lucky or, or hidden, you've had some life challenges and it helps you when things with your business aren't going necessarily perfectly. Well, well they never go perfectly, let's be honest. But when, when you might feel they're going off the rails, you've got some perspective. You know, I can talk to myself and, and be, I can be really worried about a deadline and then I can put it in perspective. Like a deadline's really important, but you can still go back to the client and say, look, I really think your copy will benefit from a few extra days um, or as just happened to me recently, I've, I'm having a bit of a health issue at the moment and I'm not going to be able to complete the project in the timeline we've agreed and then you can renegotiate with them or you can wish them well and part ways. Luckily, my clients wanted to just go with the flow, but um, definitely that kind of, you know, often you've raised a family, that's just a constant, <laughs> there's just constant things being thrown at you. But even if you haven't, I just think you've been in the workplace, you've been through all sorts of challenges there. You definitely have the life experience, I think, especially as a copywriter, where you've got to bring all these things to the different clients that you might write about or for. Uh, I think that the life experience is really valuable. I think it's it's inevitable that with experience comes knowledge and wisdom. And I think what you're talking there about the micro perspective, like when you're deep in the weeds, as I call it, and you're really, you know, sort of floundering as to how you're going to finish this piece and it's not going well, what you can do through experience is take that step back and see the macro perspective and go, you know what, no one's dying here. No one's bleeding. <laughs> no, no one's bleeding or dying is what my criteria is for panicking. <laughs> And, um, and then go, you know what, how do I get out of this? How do I communicate with a client? And so you've got more strategies, I think, when you're a bit older. And Liz reminded me of this, this technique that I tell nearly everyone who's interested as to how to deal with, you know, minor crises. And I don't mean major ones, but minor ones. It's called the 10-10-10 rule. And in fact, I got this from Jack Welch, who's, who was found, you know, head of GE. So not a big fan of him in some respects because he just sacked everybody and, and called out, you know, success. But mm-hmm. that's by the by. Um, but he and his wife actually talked about this 10, 10, 10 where, and I say this to my son too, because when they get into stress, you know, I say, look, just accept that in this moment, it's not much fun. And it might be maybe 10 hours of stress. You got to, or you get bad feedback, you know, or something doesn't go your way. And I, I just say, just accept it's going to be say 10 hours of negative thinking. And you just got to accept that, embrace it and just, you know, indulge in it in some respects. And then you're going to maybe have, maybe 10 days of feeling still the effects of that that situation and then what will you feel like in 10 months or 10 weeks we still feel it probably not so if you have this sort of 10 10 10 approach you can make the 10 weeks or 10 minutes whatever you whatever you like but what i find for me is if i know that in 10 months will i remember this no therefore <laughs> why would i let it really bug me now you know i say mm. i know it's going to be 10 minutes or 10 days or 10 hours of pain but 10 months, 10 years from now, nah. So it really helps me get that perspective of when things aren't going well. So thank you for helping me remember that because um, (laughs) I also want to talk about your CV because you talked about things going out there, you know, applying for jobs and not getting answered. How is it for you now that you have some control over your destiny, even though, you you know, we all have to pitch and do business development, but is it different now where you're in control? Yes. Look, I I really question my ability to work for somebody else. I'm not saying never. I never ever say never to anything because you just don't know what the uh, the next season might bring. But um, that idea of being assessed on such a narrow kind of uh, field, I suppose, when I know as a business owner. Um, you deal with so many different things. I mean, when I started the copywriting business, even though I'd had that construction business, I still hadn't anticipated how much marketing I would have to do and how many things I would very quickly have to get up to speed with, like, you know, the social media stuff. I I hadn't really done it. I was always so busy. I didn't have time to sit around scrolling Facebook or Instagram. And suddenly I had to. I had to be on there. I had to understand what was happening. Um, 
so that's just one aspect. But, you know, if you think about then you've got to have your accounting system working and set up and um, something that I've kind of done in reverse or your processes, even if you've got them in your head, that's no good. You actually need to really get clear on your process so that you can then um, share that with the client when you're in the pre-sales and then the after-sales phase so that they're really clear on what you do. And if, if you're not clear... <laughs> Or if you don't have anything that you can present to them as, as, look, this is what's going to happen next, you just instantly come off as looking a little bit less shiny. Um, so I think, yeah, I do think I would struggle. I know that when I went back into the workplace after nearly 10 years running a business, and this was a, a big money turnover business, like seven figures, um, and then I went back into the workplace and pretty much nobody valued my opinion on anything. Um, people who've always worked um, as an employee, and that was me for a long time, um, you just don't understand this wide range of skills that a business owner of any size brings to the table. Um, yeah, only my direct supervisor, she recognized it and she was brilliant and she got the best out of me as a consequence. But in the bigger scheme of things, yes, it was totally irrelevant. Um, yeah, I don't know if I've mm. answered your question. No, you, you have. And it, I think what you're saying too there, Liz, is there's a copy side of the craft, as I call it, and then there's the business. They're completely separate. It, it, it could be any business, right, copywriting or graphic design or fitness business, that's one thing, but you've really got to know how to run it. You've got to know how to find those clients. You've got to know how to deal and communicate. But you mentioned a really good topic, which was your process, and I'd love to hear about that because I do say that in my course that you've got to share with the clients the way you work because it's a bit like hiring a lawyer or an architect or a, um, a builder. And if you don't know how they work, it's very you know, kind of you lose your anchor as a client and the copywriters who do well are those who go, stay with me. I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. You need to sit back, relax. I'm going to take care of everything and make them feel really, really warm. So tell us about your process because I think it's on your website, which is brilliant. Yeah, I've got the little uh, like infographic on the website. Just I used to have a page, but it just was like a bit snoresville, to be honest with you. Um, so I thought I'd just condense it because I do talk about it when I actually talk to a potential client. Um, so, yeah, uh, oh, and this, I think, is quite important. When I started, because, you know, there's, um, and I agree with it, there's a lot of talk when you're starting your business, but also constantly to be serving your audience of potential clients and existing clients and so creating content and sharing 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 but when I first started because I didn't have a tight um, client pre-assessment process I guess I spent a lot of time on calls helping people who then disappeared into the ether with the information and sometimes I'd actually written stuff for them because <laughs> I couldn't help myself or they'd send me something and I'd just be reading it and then I'd just start changing it. And, um, you know, that's great. But once you start to get busy, you haven't got time for that. Um, and I've found also that people don't appreciate the free stuff. They generally don't appreciate uh, if you've given them a blog for example or you've rewritten their blog because you could see where they were struggling and then you you know don't even get a thank you email um so what I have now on my website is a process where you need to submit the project discovery form first of all contact I can't remember what I call it questionnaire um to try and make it sound a little bit more uh, friendly a form can be a bit impersonal and that covers off just some basic things like tell me a bit about you know, what your goals are, what type of uh, copy do you want? Because I've niched into web copy and email copy. So uh, depending on the person, I might do other stuff, but that's generally what I specialize in. Um, and even the question of budget, because, you know, you can go through the whole sales call and get to the end and the person thought that you were going to be $500, even though on your website you may have an indicator, they might not have looked that far down the page. And then it's such a waste of everybody's time, theirs and yours. So now I have 
I asked them what their budget is, but I used to get some pushback on that. I had a couple of people say to me, oh, well, you're just asking so that you know what to charge. And so I explained, no, it's so I, you and I both understand that we are the right fit for each other. So now when I ask budget, I have a little disclaimer that this is the reason I'm asking you. But then I have uh, little buttons that pe people can click for if they're you know, between these ranges. So if they're underneath the bottom range, they'll just drop off the form at that point. So it's probably about the third or fourth question so that they don't answer 10 questions and get that one at the end. Um, and as a consequence, I rarely have a sales call with somebody who doesn't already have an idea of the budget. That's a brilliant concept. And, and let's, let's talk about email marketing because I know that's um, of interest to a lot of people. Um, can you talk us through your briefing process? So you get a client and they... Let's say you've agreed that you want to do an email campaign. What's the first thing that you do? So um, I kind of have a, the same briefing process, but I'll be asking different things for an email client. Um, so first of all, have they even got email? Because a lot of the people I've dealt with in the last 12 months haven't. They know that they should, or they might have it set up, but they haven't ever sent one. Um, establish what their expectations are or what their hopes are for the sequence or sequences. Um, if they do already have something that they're using, what are their challenges? What's going well? What's not going well? Um, if they have um, results, it's always good to see what their results are now because uh, you can then actually genuinely see, uh, you know, the improvement. I mean, that is one thing about email over, over a shorter time. Like with a website, it can be a year or two, really, before you can definitely say that improved, you know, whatever. But with email, it's a little bit more, um, a little bit faster, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, and then I just really want to dig into understanding as much as possible about what they're currently doing because how can you work out what they should do differently if you don't already understand what they're doing um, there's obviously different categories of emails I haven't written for I've done a little bit of e-commerce email writing I haven't written for um, SaaS or uh, software as a service uh, but I have worked with service providers. Um, so normally, once I have an understanding of where they're at and what their challenges are, then I can go away and figure out how email can fix the situation that they're dealing with. And once I've uh, once I can understand that and see a way forward, then I'll I'll map out an email journey. Um, and that all forms part of the strategy. And then, of course, I can tell them, well, you really need this sequence, this sequence, this sequence. And then it's a case of uh, their capabilities. Because sometimes you can see, so it's a good, good idea, actually, before you do that, it's a really good idea to understand their limitations. So if they are offering a particular service and you can see a, a problem with the service, if they say, well, that's the service I offer and I'm not planning to change it, well, there's no point basing an email campaign around a potential change if they can't do that. So then you've got to find another way, some, some other in that's going to help them achieve what they want to achieve. So let's talk to me about how you determine what they need. You know, like you've got your welcome series or you've got whatever series you might be creating for them. But do you help them decide what they're going to sell within the email campaign? Um, not really, because they should know, they should have an idea of what their key services or products are. Um, I, look, to be honest, I haven't done that. I guess you could get really granular, but almost, that's almost like a business strategy more than an email strategy. And I do sometimes end up feeling like I'm running the business for them, not just for email. Um, you know, I've ended up creating the product. They've told me what they, or the service rather, they've told me what's going to be in it, but they've really, 
um, vague about it. Um, so I've I've done that. But in terms of an email campaign, I would I would hope that they could tell me what their main offerings were uh, and what they really wanted to prioritize. And sure, I could have a um, you know a brainstorming session with them to help them work that out if they weren't sure what they should be prioritizing. But I mean that's that's a whole nother challenge because it means they don't really understand their own business. That that would be a bit of a red flag for me. Um, but yeah, you definitely could, but it's going to put the price up because you're just going to have to spend more time digging into what they're unsure about. And talk to me about the differences in, in the copywriting for, say, an e-commerce campaign versus a SaaS. Okay. Actually, I don't think I can answer that because I haven't written SaaS at all. But I mean, what I know about SaaS is you're always trying to get the person to trial your product more than anything else. And then you're trying to. So in that respect, I guess it's still the same. Once you've got them on the on the um, path of being interested in trialing your product, then you've got to get them to trial it. And then you've got to support them through the trial and then up to the point of, um, you know, going from being in the free trial to actually uh, purchasing the program. And then I just know from experience, there's an awful lot of follow-up if you don't um, go ahead with the trial. And some do it better than others. I know sometimes I've felt like I'm just being harassed after I've made the decision. And others, I'm trying to think, it might even be Dubsado. They just basically said, well, look, stay in the free version until you're ready to make the next step. I, I thought that was a brilliant move because um, there's another email provider whose name I shall not mention, but they just made me feel like, back off and leave me alone. So those are the kinds of things that you're, um, I guess the almost the nurturing in the SaaS appears to be quite important. Um, e-commerce, I mean, the beauty of e-commerce is you are trying to sell every single time you're communicating with people even in a subtle way um, but most people understand because an e-commerce business sells stuff <laughs> and you're interested in that stuff else why did you sign up to the email in the first place uh, so it's a, it gives you a bit more freedom with the selling side of things as long as you do it in a way that's not um, well overtly so, uh, sleazy is what I normally say, but pushy. Uh, and I think people's tolerance for that has really, really dropped. So what about the e-commerce versus services? So you've talked about that a little bit. What, what do you, how do you recalibrate your writing for that? Okay, so I think that with, I believe, with the services, you've got more um, of an opportunity to build an actual conversational relationship with the person or people. But, I mean, when you're writing, you're just writing to that one person. So uh, with e-commerce, everybody knows they're not the only one getting that email about the sale that's just about to start. So it might use your name, but I don't think... Um, I don't think that's as important, the personalised approach. Uh, it's much more important with the e-commerce that they, there are ways to personalise it without actually um, pretending that you, you know, you've heard from them last week or what have you, you know, if you, even if it's just things like, you know, and you've been into some, you've been into the shop and had a look around but you got distracted or you decided no actually I shouldn't spend that money today and you might get a follow-up email that just says oh did you leave something behind or um, are you still looking for sheets or whatever um, you have to be careful with that so that it doesn't feel stalkery but it, it can be a nice gentle reminder because yeah I did someone rang the doorbell and then I made the dinner and then I while I was away, my MacBook shut down, <laughs> which does seem to happen with mine a lot. Um, and so you're just giving them that little prompt. Whereas with a services email, to me, it's a much bigger opportunity for storytelling. It's a much better opportunity to really work on the relational side of things. And you're not going to be selling in every email. You're going to be 
delivering value, whether that is literally value in terms of information or a little bit of entertainment, um, but your relationship building all the time. So communicating and building that relationship on a much more personal level. Great. Liz, can you talk us through a campaign that you've done maybe with a service just so people can sort of put some, you know, meat on the bones as to what you're saying about, you know, what did email one do? And then what did email two need to do? And what did email three need to do? Just talk us through that, the sequence that you've been talking about. Is that something you can do? Um, Yeah. um, The most common uh, email sequence that I get asked to write is the welcome sequence because one, uh, they haven't got anything set up and often, So this goes hand in hand with maybe a launch. They know they can't just suddenly launch to their list because they have done absolutely nothing to communicate with them since the person signed up. Um, So they know that they need to do a little bit of relationship building before they go, look at this shiny thing I've made. Uh, So the welcome sequence normally starts with some kind of lead magnet from normally from the website, but it can be linked from various places, but it takes you to that sign up on the website. Um, I'm about to change my approach a little bit. It's not, it's not the industry standard. So the industry standard is you get somebody to put their email address into the, um, some kind of little box on the website and instantly they're on your email list Um, you send them so the first email that I would send is the thing you want them to get that instant kind of dopamine hit and get the thing that they want straight away Um, no messing about oh I do actually do the double opt-in because that's better for your security so the double opt-in is when you Um, the very first email the person gets is actually just something along the lines of please confirm you're a human but you know you can make that warm and a little bit it's kind of a good place to put a little bit of humor in um, if it's appropriate Uh, you know if it was I don't know a funeral parlor (laughs) parlor, yeah Mind you, you could have a point of difference yeah, if you did have a bit of a You definitely humor. could if you were yeah. if you were that brand. Feeling uh, sad. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so once I so the pop-up that comes up on the website says something along the lines of, you know, your um, checklist is on its way to you soon. I just need you to pop into your email and confirm you're a human guess what bots try to jump on this list all the time or something like that uh and then they do the hopefully do the double opt-in and then they instantly get the um checklist or whatever it is to their inbox um and what I do look that I think that there are Email is a lot of, there's a lot of experimentation. My approach is to put a few things into that underneath the here's your thing, Um, a quick who I am, just in case it's a few days since they did it and they're like, what's this again? Um, But not like, you know, pages and pages, just maybe a couple of lines to remind them what they've got and who I am, uh, what to expect, Um, the opportunity to unsubscribe there and then because you do not want those people on your list who just wanted the opt-in and now they're going to just sit there and do nothing. It's actually not good for your email list if you do that. Um, and there, yeah, did I say set expectations of what's yep. coming next? Yep. Yeah, that's really important because the email welcome sequence, you're going to be emailing probably more frequently than you will any other time other than a launch. Um So I think if you let people know, you are going to hear from me every day for the next seven days or every other day, whatever you decide is right for your audience, um, then they're not going to think, bloody hell, can I say that? Yes, you can. Um, (laughs) This Liz Green, she's popping up in my inbox every day. Why is that? No, I've already told you. Uh, I'm going to because I want you to feel really comfortable that you've joined my email community. And, um, yeah, so... That's kind of just email one. <laughs> okay. And then what happens then? So uh, another thing that's really handy to do, if you because you're all the time you're trying to stand out in that inbox, uh, just at the end, just let them know what the subject line for tomorrow's email is going to be or 
or the next day's email, whenever it's going to be, um, because you're just putting a little subconscious um, flag, I suppose, that they might then see that and it will stand out because they've already heard, you know, what the subject line is going to be. Um, so I personally, I go with a bit of va value dropping for the next couple of emails. Um, in my case, because I'm, I focus on research-based copy, so I talk about what voice of customer research is and um, try to leave a little bit of a cliffhanger at the end of each email uh, that keeps the interest going for the next one. Um, so mine, mine covers off voice of customer in three emails, but there's a little break after the first two where I jump in and introduce myself. So that's the delivery, two uh, value-filled um, emails, one that's my story. But again, you're telling that story in a way that's building confidence in you, not, you know, let me just talk about me. You're always trying to remind them of what's in it for them, basically, if they work with you. Um, so, you know, you're showing them that you're a human, you're showing them a bit of your personality, you're definitely showing them your skill set, but all in relation to how great it would be for them if they ended up working with you. Then I pop it back in for another value drop. Um, and then the last one is more about the different ways that you can work with me if you um, want to. Um, each email has at least one PS on the bottom. Believe it or not, people really, well, you probably believe it. <laughs> people it's love a nice link phrase, by the way. Yeah, I love the link <laughs> phrase that you're just throwing in there on the whole way. <laughs> Tell me about the PS. Um, well, people love the PS, and I've seen emails from some really very, very well-established copywriters where the PS is much longer than the actual body of the email. Uh, but it's a, it's another opportunity for you to drop in um, the call to action. It, some people use it for for a TLDR, you know, too long, didn't read, um, just a little summary of what you put in there. Um, some people use it as, as that um, you know, that drop of, oh, tomorrow's email is going to be called blah, blah, blah. It's just, um, but don't use it for nothing. Don't have a PS for no reason. You know, use it, use it as a just little bit of extra copy or a lot, depending on what you want to say in your PS. Uh, it's just super effective. That's well said. It's a fantastic series. And what do you do then? What's your next step if no one does, if they don't do anything with you? What do you do with that, that particular person? So the next stage is to um, put them into a nurture sequence, which for me is just your regular email that you've determined you're going to keep staying in contact with them, keep delivering value, uh, let them know. I mean, they already know. You've told them in your welcome sequence that you sell, you will sell to them occasionally. And the way I put it is, you know, you're going to get first dibs on anything that I'm releasing. Um, and that's an advantage of being on the list. Um, so then they're going to move into a nurture sequence, which again, you'll need to have a strategy for what's, what you're going to write and why you're going to write it and how often you're going to email your list. Um, and basically until there's a like a specific there might be a launch or a mini launch or um something goes on sale on my website or something like that then that might generate a specific campaign and I um you know if I've gone through and tagged people as they join the list as whether they're a client whether they're um uh, another copywriter because you know as copywriters we do attract a lot of copywriters <laughs> I think on Instagram about 97% of my followers are copywriters um, yeah so so then you can do more targeted campaigns as time goes on and even with the nurture sequence you know if you know somebody's a copywriter you may not want them to get certain emails because you know they're never going to buy from you for example or they yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of reasons why you might want to only send a certain segment of your list. Uh, or if they're an, a someone who's already been your client, then you want 
to speak to them maybe in a slightly different way from the people who haven't worked with you yet because you know you actually genuinely do have a relationship with them uh so yeah yeah that's that's great and in terms of the the email newsletter that you have is that what you're saying is that they fall back into the email newsletter is that what you're saying is part of it yeah I mean most people think of it as a newsletter mine doesn't look like a newsletter um I send an email that just looks like an email you'd get from somebody that you were just emailing back and forth with. Uh, But, um, you know, I might throw in a GIF or a funny picture or something like that. But um, when you, and I get asked this actually, so I may as well mention it. When you're you're wanting to build that personal relationship, if you send the branded, super formatted newsletter that, it looks a bit like an e-commerce email and people's shutters can come down because it looks like a sales type of email. So I prefer plain text email. Um, You can still share stuff. You can still link to things, um, but it just looks more, I feel it looks more personal when it arrives in your inbox. So if someone was listening, a copywriter wanting to set up their own nurture sequence, Um, what kind of topics do you think they should be covering? Because the Welcome Series is reasonably straightforward as you've you've presented it there, and it's really, really good. Um, But they they might get a bit stuck, you know, on the nurture side because this needs to continue on. So what tips have you got for the kind of content or the kind of topics that you can cover off in the nurture sequence? So uh, as with everything, it comes down to your audience. Who are you speaking to? Um, One of the things you can do in your welcome sequence is uh, ask people what they're interested. That's actually a good way to segment as well. Um, Ask people what they're interested in hearing about. Um, That also gets people to answer your emails, which is another great thing because then it's a signal to your um, platform that, um, you know, you like the email and uh, so you're not, it's not spammy. Um, So that's one way of doing it. But really you've got to start with, what does your audience want and need and what do you want and need the, the sequence to do for you or the ongoing newsletter to do for you? And then just like before, you need to build a strategy. So, um, you know, I've talked about voice of customer in my welcome sequence. So maybe the very first is you can you can send them into a nurture sequence that's also like, say, the first month. You can have this kind of preset nurture sequence and then feed them into your regular uh, newsletter. Um, So there's, you know, a few ways that you can look at it. But if I wanted to do that, then I might talk a bit more about the other types of research and how it impacts your copy, how it's going to make your copy stronger, um, what to do if you don't have any customers, how do you get voice of customer research if you don't have any, um, you know, so that... You're all the time thinking, what can I share that I can share without too much trouble and that the audience is going to want to know about? Um, Then if you're still struggling, you can even use like one of the SEO tools and see what are people searching for about, for example, email marketing or research-based copy um, or just copy in general. Build yourself a list of all the types of questions that people want answered. And as long as it relates to your audience, then you can make a strategy from that list. So, you know, the best thing to do is just think in advance, even if you don't write them in advance, if you actually know what you're going to write about, you know how our brains just work constantly in the background, you'll find that, you know, if you thought a week ago, I want to write about... um, you know, what's the best way to um, attract rabbits when you're trying to shoot them or something awful like that. (laughs) I don't know why I said that. weird. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, You know, by the time you come round to writing it, you've had quite a lot of thoughts about that in the background, but not that topic. But, yeah, you understand what I mean. (laughs) I do. I do. It's funny how the subconscious just bubbles up into these weird examples. Rabbits and squirrels. They're always coming up in my Oh, mine's accountants and yoga studios. They're the two things I use all the time whenever I'm sort of thinking of an excuse, you know, like an example or something. probably a better one. I should stick away from the animals probably. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, as you were saying, yeah, about um, 
rabbits being killed. I mean, <laughs> no, no, we're talking about, um, well, let me just, I have a question. With your nurture sequence, how often do you send it out? Ah, this is the hotly debated question. Um, I know people that send them every single day and have really good results from sending them every single day. And I know people that would rather die than if you tell them to do that. I, I have clients who struggle to, to think it's okay to send a monthly email. Um, look, with as with everything, it comes back to your audience how engaged they are, and if you've got something actually useful to share with them. Because people, if people find what you're sharing with them helpful and interesting, they're never going to be disappointed to see you arrive in, in their inbox. So uh, I would say at the beginning, weekly is quite a good target to have because you're trying to really embed that familiarity and um, keep that relationship going and try to be top of mind for those people but you've also got to be realistic and look I'm talking about myself here I do not always practice what I preach <laughs> I'm very good at do as I say not as I do um, you know if you set yourself the target of writing a weekly email and you've got a month ahead of you where you don't even know how you can finish the work there's a good chance you might not do that um, so you need to be realistic. And that's what I say to my clients as well. Ideally, once a week, but what do you think you can manage? Because it's much better that they actually send something than then, because then it becomes one of those things, doesn't it? That gets bigger and bigger because it's week two and you didn't send last week's yet. And then suddenly it's a massive thing and then you just won't ever do it again so yeah, um really well I know said. that's a bit of a non-answer but it no, is it, kind of it is how long's a piece of string isn't it and it, yeah. it is you know what you can manage but just before we wrap up Liz I know people are probably wondering what the um, two things research-based copy just in a nutshell what do you mean by that okay um what I do is I look pretty deeply into your audience or your intended audience um so for the first couple of years that I wrote copy, I rushed through the research stage to try and get onto the writing. And then at some point I realized that the more you understand, the easier the writing actually is. Um, so some of the things that I include are uh, surveys to your audience, if you've already got an audience, um, and then followed by actually interviewing some of them and speaking to them. And the whole time you're doing this, you're collecting um, little buckets of information like related to people's pain points, related to what they've really, if they've used your service before, what they've really enjoyed in the past, what they've come up against as a problem in the past, what they've really value about if they're an existing client, what they really value about you. Um, I've found this to make such a huge difference to some of the businesses that I've worked with. They, I always give them a messaging um, document as well that kind of summarizes it all and pulls out the key bits of copy the other thing that it does is it can literally give you the right words for the website or whatever it is you're writing because you're getting the language that the people that you've already served already use so if they're using if they're talking about your service in a particular way then chances are the other people you want to work with also talk about it in this way and by actually going to them and asking them you're taking that whole guest factor of i think they you know i think they really care about this and i've had um more than one client but one in particular um she's so in touch with her audience she was almost a bit like okay, we'll do this exercise, but I know what they care about. And, and we discovered that the main thing they cared about was not the thing that was the focus of the website. And it completely changed the messaging for the whole business. So, um, yeah, look, I absolutely, I went from, as I said before, someone who scooted through the research and didn't really like it to somebody who, like uh, other things that I do, are um, I might say, what are your top four competitors or who do you think they are and then I'll have a look at their the four of them one by one and then have a look at their key messaging um have a look at the gaps that exist in the messaging so that can help you see then oh 
there's this little bit here. Nobody's talking about this little bit here. Um, so I guess, does that explain what it's I mean by that? brilliant, Liz. I love your process. I think it's really um, novel. You know, I mean, there's briefing and there's briefing, but that sense of you go the next step, don't you? You actually communicate with the client's clients and ask them what they're thinking, what they're doing and what they need. And I think that's the, the point of difference that makes you unique. Um, and that's probably why you've had the success you've had. So, Liz, I just want to congratulate you on, on all your um, achievements and uh, and to reinvent, you know, yourself after that, you know, the family business uh, going going bust. You know, it's, it's quite something else to have achieved that uh, under those circumstances. So congratulations. I wish you all the very best. And it's been an absolute delight talking to you. I could talk to you for another hour without any doubt. So Liz, <laughs> thanks for very much for coming onto the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Bernadette. It's an absolute blast. And thank you to you because I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you. Oh, well, that makes my absolute day. I love to hear that story. So thanks, Liz. Okay, you take care. All the best. Okay, bye. I think what Liz demonstrates so beautifully is that you can come to copywriting at any age and in some respects, the older you are, the better you can be because age gives you the mindset and the resilience and the experience you need to deal with the slings and arrows that come with trying something new. If you'd like to fast track your success and get more confident about your copywriting ability, then join Copy Club, Australia's most innovative and dynamic community for copywriters. With Copy Club, you can find your tribe, you can access our incredible learning hub and unlock a host of templates that will give you the confidence you need to take your copywriting business to the next level. To find out more, check out copyclub.com.au. My joke of the day. What do you get when you cross a writer with a deadline? A really clean house. I think we can all relate to that. And my quote of the day, it's short but golden. Inspiration is for amateurs. Ha, huh. yes, take that. <laughs> I love that one. Well, that's all from me. All the best and bye-bye. <laughs>